Welcome to another edition of the Little Bird Podcast. My name is Dan Ledbetter, and with me, as always, the talented and amazing CEO, founder, and mama bird of Little Bird Marketing, Priscilla McKinney. Good morning, Priscilla. Good morning. I felt like there should be like a, you know, a scale all the way up the piano, you know, from the bottom all the way up to that intro. <laughs> I know. I'll try to find some uh, angelic harp music or something. Oh, I like that. So that'll nobody, work out. Nobody good. will believe it. No, they won't, but but it'll be fun for us, I suppose. Right. Hey, one of the things we were talking about before we uh, we went on the air was this this whole thing about superfluous talents. You know, because everybody has them. You know right. what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like there are talents that you can learn and there are talents that you acquire and then they're just sort of in your tool belt. So I was just curious because we never really got around to this. Tell me some of your superfluous talents. Well, I'll tell you one real quick about I don't understand people say this to me all the time like that they are really good singers but only in the shower. I don't even understand the physics of that. How could you be good at singing but not in any particular geography, like it has to be in the shower. What I mean, talk about yeah. a superfluous talent. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's yeah. There's not much. Uh, there's not much of a calling for shower singers that I know. No. Of. No. Apparently not. Um, well. Okay. A superfluous Is, what, talent. Was that I one have. of your talents that you sing no, in the shower? No, I can sing anywhere. I didn't okay. say anybody wanted to listen to me, but I can sing anywhere. So, <laughs> I also grew up doing a lot of puppet shows. So what? Definitely. <laughs> Come on, you don't know that about I me? I did not know you You really did puppet shows. Are you kidding me? Yes, of course. Do you still have your puppets? <laughs> no, but my sister Liz does because, well, I couldn't even start that litany of list of why <laughs> she still does. She also still keeps every costume she's ever had. So, Oh, really? The only oh, person that's... I know who has more space in their closet for their costumes than for their regular clothes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, I know your sister, and I, I'm friends with her on Facebook, so I'm going to uh -huh. have to ask her to send me a picture of all your oh. puppets. Well, I didn't know that you, you didn't know the deep love of puppetry in our family. <laughs> Apparently not, since I have a... Uh, abnormal fear of like puppets and dolls and, and by, things. And by love, I mean deep abhorrence. Yes. <laughs> no, we, you know, we, we grew up on the mission field. We were missionary kids. And of right. course, as any good missionary kid does, they know how to work puppets. That's right. So wow. yeah, there's a superfluous talent for you. You got to love that. Oh, but uh, I also, something that actually comes in handy for me that nobody gives a rip about is I can actually take a piece of paper and cut with scissors and cut a perfectly straight line. What? Yeah. Like a, and, like an exact perfect straight line? Like Yeah, like I can do it by sight. Really? Yes, and I guarantee that nobody's going to pay me to do that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe Kinko's would hire you or something <laughs> if, if their paper cutter broke down. Yeah, yeah. They have these things called paper cutters that totally handle it just fine. Now, so when did, you, when did you discover that you could do that? Oh, I'm artsy craftsy, you know, and uh, growing up, we did a lot of, uh, what do you call that? Self babysitting? <laughs> yes, we called them latchkey kids. Okay, did a lot of that. And uh, I just kept myself busy. I don't know, cutting stuff up, magazines, doing that. You know, I was one of those kind of kids, I always had something decorated. So I found out pretty fast, but it does come in handy. Let me tell you, um, uh, my kids are pretty impressed. Yeah. Oh, also, what? I can say the alphabet backwards. No. I can. Like without pausing? Yes. Oh, well, you know I'm going to ask you to do it. Right I now. know. So you might as well you might as well just uh, lay it out. 
Okay, Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-N-M-L-K-J-I-H-G-F-E-D-C-B-A. Okay, seriously, you are not from this planet. Listen, that also has just helped me with kids and in teaching kids or impressing kids. And if you, you know, want to go around in your life impressing kids, you should learn the alphabet backwards. And, and all this time I thought pulling a quarter from behind their ear was the way to do it. <laughs> You know what? Here, we're talking about superfluous towns. I thought, oh, I don't have any. Wait a minute. I've got loads. Yeah. I'm sitting there going, I mean, I can barely do the alphabet forward. Right. Even... I'm sorry. Are you one of those people who file and the whole time oh, they're singing? I ha yeah, exactly. I have to do the song before I can figure out the next letter. Oh, yeah. That cracks me up. So what, oh. what are some of your superfluous oh, talents? I knew you were going to ask me that. And I'm sitting there going, what? I don't think I have any. I, I think, well, I mean. Wait, wait, wait. What? That's the title of, of your autobiography, My Life in Superfluous Talents. <laughs> Damn Ledbetter. Yeah. It, it won't be as much of a book as it will be a one-page. <laughs> or a cautionary tale. Yes, a cautionary tale is probably more accurate. <laughs> okay, well, so what, I, what do you got? I mean, I have a great sense of humor, and I, yes. I have I have this uncanny ability to pull references from just about anywhere. What Gosh, I can, I can actually sing, believe it or not. I was in several musicals when I was... Uh, in college. I, I didn't know that, but that doesn't surprise me terribly. But Yeah, that, and I also, I, uh, I studied to be an actor. Well, you I, know, I've always said that you should have your own late night talk show. Oh, I know, right? And I think that's why I ended up doing podcasting, because no TV station would hire me. <laughs> <laughs> you know you didn't try. Well, you know, one of my other superfluous talents is that I speak fluent Spanish. Really? See, you are not. You are never ceasing to amaze me today. It's like I'm learning all these things about you. Well, how did it, you it, not know that? I well, I don't know. I I mean, uh, from when I met you, I didn't know that there was any need for you to speak Spanish. I mean, why? <laughs> so why would you even learn Spanish? Are you? I mean, I I I I mean, I took uh, two days of it in school, oh. and I learned enough to order at Taco Bell. So <laughs> apparently, that worked out well for you. <laughs> it did. So why'd you learn Spanish? Are you serious? I'm serious. Um, because I lived in Spain and I wanted to actually talk with people. So when now? Okay, so this is another thing I didn't know about you. When did you live in Spain? Um, I moved there when I was 12, and I did not know one word of Spanish. In fact, the really? first day I was there, someone walked down the street and said "Hola." I looked at my dad in total shock, and I said, "What did they say?" And he looked at me. He's like, "Well, they said hello," and I thought. They speak a different language here. <laughs> I was so mad. I spent the next two months kicking and screaming on my bunk bed, which was also in my dad's office. So that didn't go very yeah, well. Yeah, I was going to say that didn't bode well. <laughs> yeah, it was a really bad summer. And so then, did you did you learn by immersion? Like, did oh, yeah. you just self-taught? Yeah. I'll tell you right now, I know probably 70% of the Spanish that I know, I learned in those first three months. Really? Yeah, almost wow. everything that I know. That is hilarious. Now, we're getting into past superfluous towns and into just ridiculous facts about me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, a, I, I feel like I'm, I'm undoing a Snapple bottle cap and looking <laughs> under there and finding out these tidbits about you. Oh. Well, let's talk about the Spanish thing for a second, because I know, at least here on the West Coast, that 
the Spanish market is really, really huge. And I know that for me, you know, doing the, the marketing that I do, you know, the mm-hmm. podcasting and the social media stuff, and I just sit there and I think, wow, how much am I missing out on because I don't know how to speak Spanish? Because it really is, it's larger than the English-speaking market out here. Wow. Well, you know, and I, I live there and I, I know that reality. It's not the same reality where I live in Joplin. And really? No, not at all. And the market is actually very different. But um, it's sad to me that it's a superfluous talent. I wish my clients would use it, and I wish someone wanted to, either from translation services or actually doing campaigning toward the Hispanic market, because I do think it is a very large market, and that is my job, trying to grow the market share for my client at the end of the day, right? Right. For whatever reason, I haven't had that opportunity here, so it does sit around like a superfluous talent. But I know that the Hispanic market in the U.S. is well over, well over 50 million. So it's huge. And we actually do have a big market here. What makes it superfluous for me is that it's very different here than it is on the West Coast. And what I mean by that is that immigrants have been on the, on the West Coast longer in terms of number of generations that have stayed. Right. And they may have been here first or there first or wherever, but it is a more developed community. And what I mean by developed is, and I'm not trying to import value in any way, uh, shape or form, but it's different in that they are more integrated into non-Hispanic society. Right. Now, you still have enclaves, and I use that word because, because of my background. So an enclave really just meaning that you know people from a particular ethnicity stick together. You see that in Chinatowns. You see that in Koreatown. You look at L.A. Basin, and you look, okay, this is like really where the Italians live. This is where New York right. is the same way. Everybody understands that, the idea of enclaves. Mm-hmm. And here in the four-state area, that's Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas. I'm right on the border here. And here, they really do live in enclaves. And we have a Micronesian enclave that's pretty large. And then we have a a Hispanic enclave that's quite large. So they are very large. They're here. But just for example, the majority of, of Hispanics that I meet here, the people that are my age are the first generation. So they're here, and their English is spotty. And it's their kids that are, you know, multilingual and they're in school, and those kids are translating for the parents. Oh. And that is still the case, obviously, everywhere, but yet it's less the case in these, you know, in the coastal areas. Right, right. You bump into someone who's Hispanic, and they're like, yeah, um, they're like, oh, when did you come to the U.S.? You know, and they're like, um, seven generations ago. Right. <laughs> like, I don't even know, you know, most of those people our age, they don't even know Spanish. So I, I speak Spanish, and I go to talk with them, and they don't speak Spanish. Wow. So when I was in Southern California, I did put myself through school working at a bank. And I do have a funny Hispanic story in that my friend who always worked the window next to me on payroll days where you had the majority of people in line cashing checks were Hispanics. Every time she would get somebody named Jesus, she would always say just a little louder than normal at the end. Thank you, Jesus. Have a great day. Can't wait to see you again, Jesus. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it's funny. That is funny. (laughs) So I do miss it. I do. Right. Well, you know, the funny thing is, I mean, in some ways, you're actually ahead of the game, because I don't even know if I feel right saying if it comes to that point when the Spanish market is so large in your area that it cannot be ignored from a marketing standpoint, Mm -hmm. you will already be there because you've got the fact that you speak fluent Spanish on your side. 
Right. And yeah, that, I would hope so. More more than anything, I think there are a lot of great services that need to be translated, not necessarily language, but culturally, to make them culturally relevant to who they are and their background. We do that when we're trying to tweak a campaign toward an affluent older female, mm-hmm. or we're trying to tweak a campaign more to a blue collar young male. It, it doesn't matter. We tweak campaigns all the time. Right. And it would be enjoyable to me to get the chance to really tweak it and understand what are the sensibilities that the Hispanic market brings to the table? What needs to be thought through? Exactly. It's just yeah. a process, and I enjoy the process, so no matter who it is we're working toward, I would like to see that go through our funnel. <laughs> yeah, and how funny that they don't really teach you that in college, you know, that, I mean, I've taken, I think I took one marketing class when I was in college, but I, I know for sure that when I was looking at the curriculum, it didn't say anything about reaching out to to different cultures and well, different things like that. Well, you're one class of marketing ahead of me, Dan. What? No. <laughs> yeah, that's talk about bringing in another host of superfluous talents is that I have a degree in cultural anthropology. You you didn't take any marketing classes at all? Nothing? Not one. Never have. Really? Mm-hmm. And, you know, last year when I was looking around at my, my team here, there was only one person who had a marketing degree. And guess what she was doing? Um, she was a secretary? Uh-huh. An intern. No. Yeah. Nobody else here has a marketing degree. And, you know, I, I know some people may say, wow, are you sure you want to make that public? But I'm telling you, cultural anthropology degree is basically, I think, the foundation from which you should start marketing. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, now that I think about it, when you said that, I'm going, I don't see how that is going to help you in marketing. But then after after I go back and replay this conversation in my head, I'm going, oh my gosh, it's it, they should rename that Cultural Anthropology, a.k.a. Marketing 101. If you don't understand the process and really a full methodology about cultural anthropology and how you go about observing the participants, however you want to call it, we called it in anthropology, called it field work. Here we call it, you know, marketing research. (laughs) Right, right. So it's about participant observation, interviewing, surveying, Understanding, here's here's two pieces of jargon, emic and etic view. The emic is like where from inside yourself, how you view things. Etic is like that outside view of right. things. And so when you think about how people interact in culture and how we're trained to interact in culture, these things are imparted within interesting little packages of meaning. And we're taught how to interact with things in our world within culture. Right. And so when you talk about how someone's going to go out and look at a Facebook ad, well, their culture has explained to them and passed down tacitly what are the approved norms for interacting online with a piece of advertising. And if you can't delve into that and understand how culture impacts how you interact with society, then you can't do marketing. (laughs) Wow. That is, that's actually very fascinating. It's also a real discipline. And I use the word methodology. And I think that's a real strong suit, you know, for Little Bird Marketing is that we have a process. Right. And we stick to it. It's a discipline. And everything that we do is not sexy. It is putting our clients and their products and their goals through the paces to see if they will hold water. 
And you have to have this ability to really codify what's going on. So if I take a look at like a campaign that's going on out in Facebook or at Google AdWords or I don't know, you know, you can put insert a lot of things. And I want to be very flexible and turn on a dime and change what's going on because of what we see. It's because of the discipline of sitting and reading the statistics that are coming back to me. And if there's one course you have to take all the time in anthropology, it's statistics. Right. Understanding the research behind what people do. Mm-hmm. And it's such a cool discipline because they do rely on math and, you know, actual case studies, but they also rely on the interview process and what you would say the qualitative and not quantitative aspects of the human experience. And that to me is the role of a really great marketing agency. Let's look at the quantitative stats and interpret them, understand them, but don't just look at numbers by themselves. Look at numbers in relation to the qualitative things you're hearing and bring those two things together. And that synthesis really is cultural anthropology. And to me, that's really great marketing. Right. And I think that's what makes your company stand out from others in the fact that you can say, look, tell me your story. I'm looking at it with a completely fresh set of eyes. Mm -hmm. It's like, and then you can take that information and instead of like going to the automatic response of, okay, you're whatever, you're a car company. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we want to market you towards families who need Uh, transportation instead of going, okay, let's stop. How else can we utilize this? How can we make this unique and exciting? Not only that, but that's where I go right away. And I've had to train myself to stop before I go into a million ideas about how we could do this for the client. I have to stop and say, what were you hoping we could do for you? Because I find that once I hear someone's problem and their product and their whatever it is, I have all these ideas of what I was hoping we could do for them. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And what I think are our suits. And I go down a path, blah, 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 you know. And I'm down here. And when once you go down to point 10, if that, if point 10, you may get lucky and you hit the nail on the head and point 10 is exactly where that client wanted to go. But stopping at the beginning and just saying that before you give ideas, before you start delving into what the possibilities are, just asking the question, when you came here today, what were you hoping I could do for you? Right. And I have been corrected on my course so many times by falling back to that anchor statement. You know, it's so funny that you say that. I'm going, okay, they gave me the idea. I'm going to run with it. And like, I could be Mm -hmm. like 18 miles off course before they say, well, no, we wanted to go over here. Well, I've done that. And, you know, that this is only the voice of experience, Dan. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Here's my battle scars. Let me show them to you. This is why older people, if they've paid attention to their life, they're incredibly wise. Right. You know, it doesn't come from just getting older, but it comes from getting older and from putting a mirror up to yourself. And when something goes wrong with a client and there is a disconnect, being able to say, Why is there a disconnect? What part of the process did I run with before checking in with the client? Right. And inevitably, I find that when we've had a miscommunication or the product, the final product is not what the client wants, more than likely it's because I did not stop to reaffirm my understanding of what they were saying and what they wanted. 
Mm. And I was too quick to make my own interpretations of their needs. Right. Instead of finding out their vision and getting on their bandwagon, instead of trying to get them to go on yours. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. in anthropology, you ask questions and you don't ask leading questions. Right. You truly let the participant answer and also define for themselves what the words are that they're using because, you know, culture is completely embedded in language. Mm -hmm. And so you may say cup and I may say cup, but I'm thinking a tall white Starbucks cup with a lid. Right. And you're thinking of an espresso cup, you know. Right. So you, that because that could be informed from your culture, and that's a weak example. But, you know, every word that we say has, you know, some kind of a meaning attached to it that yes. is completely embedded in our enculturation process as we've grown up. And how can mm. I honor the client, you know, the trust that they're putting in us by actually listening to them? And it's not that I just listen to them and do whatever they say. I'm paid to tell them when I think, based on marketing best practices, that they're wrong and would they like to see it a different way or standing my ground on a point to really help them understand that their particular ideas are not going to lead them to their particular goals. I'm paid mm. to defy them in that way. And right. I'm also paid to poke holes at their statements and to ask and say, yes, I hear you say that, but what here's, you know, devil's advocate kind of thing. But at the end of that meeting, I'm paid to do what the client wants. And if I don't know what the client wants, it's probably because I've gone in with my complete worldview and never thought about theirs. Uh, I don't even know how we got here. We started <laughs> out talking about superfluous talents and we, we brought it all the way back to here. So Okay, well, also, I'll end this podcast by saying because of my degree in cultural anthropology and so many extra classes I took, I'm not sure if it amounted to a minor in political science, I am a great date at a cocktail party. <laughs> and that's another superfluous talent right there. <laughs> there you go. That's great. Well, thank you so much again for, for sharing all that. So, listeners, we would love to hear your experiences as well. So feel free to leave us a comment on our Facebook page, on the Little Bird website, or wherever you downloaded this podcast from. So for the Little Bird Marketing Company, the home of cage-free thinking, this is Dan Ledbetter along with Priscilla McKinney saying have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.